Kim, love and salutations, good people. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Slow Wealth Podcast. Success lives on elevation. This is Kendra. And this is Ramon. And today we are helping you with the closing process of your property. Yeah, yo. As we have with our previous shows, we start with a powerful motivational quote. It starts by saying, your thoughts influence your feelings. Your feelings influence your actions. Your actions create the life that you live. Uh, date. So you are creating your life by your thoughts. Yes. That's pretty powerful. fuel your success, basically. You know, I, I actually read something recently about a guy like in the 14th century. He was some sort of aristocrat or something. He didn't trust anybody with his food. So every day he would tell his help to put a little bit of poison in his food so his body would grow immune to it. His body grew immune to just that, that little piece of poison. And then somebody actually poisoned him. And they gave him like an obscene amount of poison. He didn't die. But then, of course, you know, nature happens and they gave him a different type of poison and he died. That's kind of how I know it's kind of morbid, but that's kind of how I think about your thoughts. Mm. Every day you allow that piece of, you know, that negative thought to get to you and you become immune to it which means that you start to believe it and then it just becomes you just become a normed in all these negative thoughts you become numb to it so that means you're going nowhere you're doing nothing you're complacent and you're you've grown okay with that you want better but you're like you know what i can't do it i can't do this i can't do that and then somebody feeds you a different type of poison mm. and then you die and then it works and it works right but how come we can't do that with positive affirmations? Because if you don't already think that about yourself, then it's not going to work. Right. It starts within. It starts within, right. If you tell yourself, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I can't do this, I can't do that. But if you say, you know, you look in the mirror, you like, you a beautiful man. I love you. You know, <laughs> you know, you... People out here taking things for granted. You know, you got to love yourself because if you don't, guess what? Nobody else will. So make sure that your thoughts are positive. They influence your feelings. Your feelings influence your actions. So you want those positive feelings to influence positive actions that will get you going so that you can live a life that you love. Mm. That, that was deep. Deep, deep, deep. Deep. <laughs> So, um, give us a little, a little synopsis about where the market is. Same as it was last week <laughs> in the trash. No, I don't know. It's, I think it's still the same, roughly speaking. Mm-hmm. But things are picking up though. Right. You know, there's more people flying. Businesses is opening back up, partially. That's all tying to the market. And depending on what they're doing with these old stimulus packages, um, because like we just heard, a lot of people are not coming back to work because they're making more money at home. Right. And now they're trying to, or they're talking about um, bringing out another stimulus package to get people to go back to work. 
which is what, $450 a week? $450 to get you to go back to work. Of course, that'll be for a, a short amount of time just to motivate you to get there. But all this ends, like the $600, that ends July 31st anyways. So they said, yeah, yeah, because the Senate, from what it sounds like, don't want it to go past that. So um, they're now looking at a way to stimulate the economy by getting people to go back to work, which is what we need, in my opinion. You know, people need to get back to work, and you know, because a lot of people, um, you know, they need that money. They need that job, that security, the medical, and all that other stuff that comes with their job. So um, I think I think that it, it should work. It might work. We'll see. Yeah. But as far as the, you know, the real estate, I mean, I, some places it hasn't even slowed down. Um, even though they're doing a lot of virtual tours, tours, which I mean, I'm not even enthused about that, you know. <laughs> but uh, they're still selling. They're still pending. Um, I think you know, especially because we're going into the summer. So if everybody's been on lockdown, people are going to get out. We're going to be doing everything. It's going to be a lot. I think I think it's going to be a lot of business happening um just just depending on the states certain states because i know some states like what california Mm -hmm. is not going to be open back up to i think they said the fourth of july Mm -hmm. yeah new york so um but i think it's still a good time to buy florida being open they like we ain't closing nothing florida texas uh well there's a lot of states um that that are opening back up so hey I still think go out and buy, search. Don't ever stop looking for real estate. Right. That's my whole thing. No matter what the circumstances is, keep looking. Just always look. Um, so, yeah, that's my little take. Yeah. Um, I don't think people know that people who, shoppers, people who, I'll say us, the consumers, excuse me, The consumers determine the market. You determine the market. You out there that want to buy some shoes, a shirt, or whatever, a house, apartment buildings, a commercial property, you determine the market. The market, it seems like it's coming from the top down, but actually it goes the bottom up. And a lot of people don't realize that not just in America, but in the world. They're like, you know, the powers that be. And it's like, no, nah, it ain't the, just the powers that be. It's you who determines the powers that be. You need to, you know, you need to know what your power is. Your power lies in that dollar bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if they're not getting it from you, they ain't going to get it. I mean, as much as, you know, as much money is being printed on a daily basis, it has to go into circulation. That means they need you out there shopping and sp- uh, spending money and feeling comfortable spending money. So that's why they gave, you know, Americans the extra $600 a week and then it possibly could be extended and then they, you know, they have something else that's in you said the Senate or the yeah, House. Yeah, they're proposing some money to give everybody to go back to work. So. Yeah, that $450. So mm-hmm. don't I mean, you know, I know people watch the news and they're like, "Oh, well, you know, you don't know this and you don't know that." If you read if you pick up a book, knowledge is power. You 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 know this that consumers determine the market. All right. Now with that said, let's get in how to close on a property. The final stages of your property closing process. Yes, the home closing process. And 
some simple ish <laughs> steps because it, it 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 can be whoo it can be tiring it it can wear you out the closing process. This is this is the this is the process. This is the point where some people are like you know what forget the property. I don't even want it no more because I, I know I told Ramon I was like I don't even want it no more. Why they need a, Why they need the same information again? But then after we you know invested in more than one property, mm. it made more sense. Yeah. Yes. Kind of, <laughs> kind of, but it, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to tell y'all some stuff, you know, that you need to look for, prepare for, you know, all of that good stuff. Um, some things that could be overlooked, um, some things that you wouldn't even think of that, you know, we did do, um, you know, we were told to do, you know, we found out, like she said, after going through closing a few times, what to look for and, uh, you know, how to make it an easier process. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about that on this episode. So uh, let's get into it. All right. So uh, just to talk about some technical terms. Uh, now the escrow agent is a third party. They're non-biased. They don't they don't have any biases toward you, the buyer or the seller. They're just there, just kind of to facilitate to, the whole yeah deal. to facilitate the deal. So um, I just want to start by saying that. And then there's the title company. And the title company, you'll get title insurance. So these are things that happen prior to you actually sitting at that closing table. But the um, title insurance company, title insurance company, the title company um, is there to make sure that you have a clear title. Clear. There's no clouds on a title. No liens. Um, but they're not really protecting you, the buyer. They're protecting the property. They're really protecting, you know, they can protect you as the buyer, but they also can protect the lender. That's why you have a lender's title exactly. policy and you have a buyer's title policy. Exactly. So both ends, you both want to be um, secure. Lender, obviously, because if you bought that property and there were some liens or something on that property, that could that could hurt their investment, right? Giving you the loan for the property. And you as a buyer, it can protect you. Just in case anything comes up, like a lien or anything on that property where you're like, hey, I didn't know about that. The title insurance company will be, or the title company will be held liable for any of that. That's what your policy is for. That's what insurance is for, right? So, Correct. Okay, so title insurance is added um, to on your closing statement, uh, again, as Ramon explained. The title insurance, now with title insurance, I guess I should ask this, with title insurance, you the buyer have to, you you purchase it. And then do you pay? Because there's two title. So normally the the seller. Pay, yeah, the uh, seller will, pays will, for will pay a policy for and then you pay for your own to protect you. Yeah, it, just, it depends on the transaction, but normally the seller will pay for your, uh, your uh, insurance policy mm -hmm. for your title. Um, but you will pay for the lender's policy Correct. for the title. Correct. Um, there may be some uh, instances where uh, you and the seller will go half, uh, maybe on the title or escrow fees. But um, from what we've seen, I think the seller has always paid for our policy uh, on the title. But in turn, we'll have to pay for the lender's policy. Exactly. And, and again, escrow is facilitating all of this. So when it's when it comes time to 
you know, buy and purchase all this, they'll let you know, hey, you know, this is how much it is for title insurance and blah, 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 blah. So um, that information is disclosed to you. And you'll see it on your closing statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. You really want to go through that closing statement because, you know, as much as uh, the escrow, you know, much as they do this, you know, every day uh, with so many properties closing and everything like that, they can't overlook things and get things wrong. And, you know, you want to make sure you catch that before you go to closing. Now, homeowner's insurance is another thing um, that we should discuss because uh, the coverage, you, you definitely want to make sure that you're shopping around for that. Um, because just because you have auto insurance with a certain company doesn't mean that it's necessarily conducive for you to purchase home owner's insurance with that same company because it could be significantly more expensive. Um, because we looked with our current, well, at that time with the car insurance company that we were using and homeowner's insurance to them was ridiculously expensive. So we did go with an outside company and then switched everything and got a discount. Yeah, a lot of times you, you'll save more money when you have all of your uh, policies with the same insurance yeah, carrier. So like your auto, you know, life insurance, you know, home insurance, boat insurance, if you got that, um, they'll give you discounts. So um, you really want to shop around uh, for insurance uh, because sometimes, you know, you'll think, you know, you won't get a better deal and that next insurance company may give you, you know, a much better rate. So um, you definitely want to shop around. You want to actually shop around that um, when, around the time when you go on the contract because you want to just kind of be proactive uh, and get a leg up on that. Right. And my advice, too, is during this time that you're packaging all the insurance policies together, you want to increase your auto insurance why tell let's tell the good people why and, and as full disclosure folks anything that we're saying you want to if you have any questions you want to consult an attorney because we're telling you what we did there are some things like um escrow and stuff like that that you'll you know you'll consult with your lender and um your agent and stuff like that if you have any questions consult an attorney this is, again, this is what we went through. But back to um, increasing the auto insurance. Tell the good people why we advise that they do that. If you're purchasing property, that means a duplex, triplex, and quadplex. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, if you're purchasing property, um, especially if it's worth anything, which I hope it is, <laughs> uh, you one thing that is kind of overlooked, and we did not know about this. You know, our mentor told us about this, and it really helped us to see kind of why too. Um, but like she said, you want to increase the liabilities insurance on your on your auto insurance. Now, why that is is because if God forbid, uh, you know, you're driving to work or something, and you get in a car accident, and Let's say it was your fault or it wasn't your fault, but somebody gets hurt. Now they now they sue you. Well, when they get their attorney and they come after you, let's say to pay their medical bills or whatever else, they can find out if you have a property. Now, remember in the last podcast, I, I mentioned that 
if you're purchasing, you know, a house up to four units, a lot of times that property is going to be in your individual name versus being in an LLC. So it, they can do a quick Google search and probably find out that you own that property. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to come after you. They're going to come after that property. And so you want to be able to protect your asset, protect your property by increasing the liability limit on your auto insurance. You want it to be high enough to where if you did, you know, get in an accident, that your property, your investment is still protected. Um, so, you know, that's what we did. Um, I don't know how much we increased it to, but we increased it to the amount our property was worth. Right. I do remember that. Um, so that you do want to do that. So if your property is worth three hundred thousand, I would say increase it to four or five hundred thousand. It's usually not a big difference that you're going to pay on your insurance, um, you know. But you just want to make sure that that property is protected just in case you ever get sued, a tenant slips and falls, or anything. You just want to make sure that you you know that. And, and you know we could probably maybe later talk a little bit about. You know, having a property in your name versus LLC, um, but this is strictly right now just having it in your individual name. You should increase the liability coverage on your auto insurance. Right. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Mm. So, oh. One other thing with your insurance. One thing I also recommend that you do as extra coverage, right? Is also add umbrella insurance. Oh God, yes, absolutely. So, umbrella insurance. We'll talk about that real quick. Umbrella insurance is um, it's an added protection, right? So let's say your home insurance uh, uh, liability is three hundred thousand, and let's say um, let's say you do have an accident or something, and somebody sues you. And let's say they sue you for uh, $500,000. But let's say that you, with your auto, with your home insurance, you added an umbrella uh, insurance coverage, which, by the way, umbrella insurance is not expensive. Um, you can get a lot of times umbrella insurance for under $20 a month. Right. You know, so, you know, it's very inexpensive. And a lot of times that can, that can be like $500,000 worth of coverage. So let's say you get sued for $500,000. Your home insurance only covers you liability-wise up to three hundred thousand. Well, after three hundred thousand, your umbrella insurance kicks in, and they'll cover you whatever your liability on your home doesn't cover. So if you have five hundred thousand dollar protection in your umbrella, three hundred thousand in your home, and you get sued for five hundred thousand, your home insurance will cover three hundred. Your umbrella will cover the other two hundred. And you're protected, so you don't lose your home, you don't lose your property. So it's just that added protection that you. I, I insist on everybody putting umbrella insurance with your home insurance. Ask them how much is the umbrella insurance. Don't let nobody stray you away from getting it. Do your research on it. We have it, and Absolutely. I think it's really important. Yes, and make sure you're consulting your insurance agent. You should have an insurance agent that you have a phone number for that you can contact directly. I mean, we we only deal with the 800 number. You know, if if 
we have a question like at 9 p.m. on the weekend or something, but we have an agent that we can contact directly. Just because if we have a specific question, I want to be able to talk about Susie Q, insurance lady. You know, hey, I got this question and I need you to answer this. You know, I, I need a professional. I don't need somebody who, you know, works at a call center to, mm-hmm. you know, to give me a, a plethora of um, information that they're reading from a paper. I need, I need somebody like a professional. Yeah, no, I mean, insurance is important. You definitely uh, want to find the best rate find the best coverage you know a lot of them will try to add a lot of those those add-ons for you to protect jury and, and all of that stuff now unless you have that stuff you can take that off um your main thing is your liability um and you you know you want to make sure that you cover just in case your tenants have an accident on a property and they and they sue you you know because they want to cover their medical bills or whatever um and also like we said increase your liability insurance on your auto on your auto and then also get umbrella insurance um for your which it will it, the umbrella insurance will really come with your auto but it'll cover you um in your car or your your home your property and it, it'll give you that extra coverage if you just think of how an umbrella is and you put it over you and your girl and it's protecting both of y'all from the rain that's what it is there it is Right. When it rains, it pours. Right. And I think, too, whenever you um, purchase your insurance, you should also ask if you would get a discount for um, referring your tenants to XYZ insurance company to get renter's insurance, because that is a great thing um, for tenants to have, you know, just in case they have um, some incidents that. If there's a fire on the property, your insurance is only going to cover the property. It is not going to cover their personal items. Uh-uh. So they need insurance to cover their personal items. And with um, our property, we did require that they had um, renter's insurance. Uh-huh. So they sent us the declaration page and we were on there as you, you an authorized the, something. I you had the third remember. party. Yeah, um, third party, some mm-hmm. authorization or something like that. But we did require that they have it. And I mean, you're not being greedy because you're not getting anything out of it. It's just, you know, you're protecting them. Because a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to spend that extra 10 to 15, whatever they choose. I mean, they choose whatever they want just as long as they have it. Some people don't want to spend that extra money, but we were like, hey, you want to live here? <laughs> you got to have it. I mean, you just got to convince them. You know, like she said, that's just an added expense to a lot of tenants that they don't think they need it. But when you go through their, you know, their unit, you like, look, you got this. You got, you know, one of our tenants had an old. Uh, oh, she like, had a, a couple old cars. I was like, I want to buy antique. from her. Yeah, like that, antique cars that, that was nice. That's probably worth some money. You know, we're like, hey, if a fire broke out and those cars got damaged. Our insurance won't cover you. It'll cover the building, but it won't cover you. And if the and if the fire damage was because of you, our insurance is gonna come after you. So you should want to cover yourself, right? And your car and your belongings. So you know a lot of that insurance, you know, could be like ten dollars a month, mm-hmm. and it get, it'll get them thousands, you know, in coverage, and it covers you as the owner because just in case they do start a fire, let's say you know it, it was an accident. You you they have insurance that you can now go after to try to recoup some of the costs. 
right? So it just, it's, it's, the insurance is really just added uh, protections on all sides. And so you just really want to, you know, stress that to your tenants. Hey, you know, we're just going to require everyone to have, um, you know, renter's insurance. Um, and like she said, you can go to your insurance company and a lot of times they'll give your tenants a good rate because you're with them, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. I mean, I know it sounds like so trivial for us to be talking about this because everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I know I need insurance. I know yeah. that, you know, <laughs> but when you're going through the closing process, there are a lot of things that you do not think about. Because uh-uh, you're so ready you, to get it over right. at that point. You're like, all right, let me sign this, this and that. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. So, I mean, these are things that you can remember, you know, just write them down because we'll kind of go through a list i won't title them out but you'll be able to figure out exactly what you know what that list is um because we'll go through the process pretty strategically um so that it's you know you do this first and you do this next and hey, then you do this next they go to the first podcast <laughs> so I'm, listening all I'm the talking way about the closing process oh yeah we're right gonna now. do we did that's what this episode is yeah. we're gonna tell you what we knew and what we went through and what to look for, what not to do, and all that. So, yeah. So, um, during all this, a very, very important aspect that you want to remember is meeting the conditions of the loan. You want to meet all the conditions that's set by your lender. So, um, your lender will be specific about anything that is, uh, specific to your loan. Um, now, that means, too, you want to make sure that you're bringing all the necessary documents to your lender, such as your pay stubs. Um, underwriting will uh, re-verify a lot of information. So when we say that it, it becomes tedious and you kind of get discouraged, you're like, man, I want just want to get this over with, you know, Forget it. <laughs> I don't. I don't even want it no more because you're gonna go through a lot of the same paperwork that you already disclosed early in the you know early in the sale process. So um, they're gonna ask again for your paycheck stubs. They're gonna re-verify your employment, your income, um, any uh, bank statements. They're gonna ask for updated bank statements. Uh, they're gonna check your debt to income ratio. They're going to um, check your investment accounts. They're going to be checking a lot of information that you have already provided. So make sure you're meeting the conditions of the loan. If you told that lender that you were going to pay X, Y, Z off, make sure it's paid off. Yeah, because anything that you agree to with that lender has you doing before you close, they will come back and that underwriter will check and make sure if it's done. If it's not, you're going to hold up closing. And you don't know what that can cause. So just make sure you stay on top of that. Yes, absolutely. You always want to make sure that you're following up with your lender to see if um, underwriting needs anything. My suggestion is that you be proactive. Uh You don't let them come to you. You say, hey, is there anything that you need from me? Oh, yeah, I emailed. (laughs) Ramon was doing that. And he was like, okay, so we need to make sure we send this. And I'm like, we already sent it. He's like, let's just get it together right now. You know, Uh so it, it did make it a lot easier. Um, 
when we went through, you know, when we finally got to the closing table. If you've got a laptop, a computer or whatever, put a folder on there and put all your pay stubs, bank statements, all of those documents, put it in that folder. And whenever they ask for it, you can just go right to that folder. Boom, here you go. Yep. And some of it you may have to update it, like the pay stubs, depending on how long you're, you're, you're going through the closing process. You may have to send them updated paycheck stubs or, you know, anything of that nature. But a lot of times it'll be the same documents. Uh, I, I promise you, they'll ask you for the same document. Over and over. And you'd be like, man, what again. in the heck? What is wrong with these folks? But, like, there was <laughs> there was documents, um, I believe my, my 401K. They made me send it so many times because they kept saying the web address on the bottom um, of the paper, you know, if you if you actually go onto my 401k website, there's this little web address. If you go mm-hmm. to print it out, and they needed to see that, or it wasn't valid, and it had to show the page number, or it wasn't valid. And I just remember like going crazy, like these people are retarded. <laughs> like, I'm I'm printing this thing out, and you're saying that you need to see the web address. I forget what you call it, but it's, it's a web address on the bottom and a page number to the right. They would not take it until I sent them the paper showing that on each uh, paper for my 401k. Like a watermark? I no. don't remember that. No, it's a, uh, oh shoot, I remember that. It's, <laughs> it's uh, dang, what do you call it? Somebody know. But when you when you print out a web page, mm-hmm. it's basically the web address mm-hmm. to where that document goes to. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you type that in, it'll go directly to that that page. Mm-hmm. They need to see that on the bottom. Oh man! Yeah, they Dang, need to see that. that. Like they'll bad. ask you for some crazy stuff. I'm telling you, just be prepared because they're gonna ask you, and you know you're gonna want to like, you, you know, the underwriter is like uh, <laughs> the 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 Wizard of Oz. You know, the dude behind <laughs> the, the, man, the man, yeah, behind, behind the, the curtain. curtain. <laughs> you be like, man, let me talk to let me talk to him because why is he asking me for all this? You know, so. Um, I don't know why they do it. Um, I don't know if they just kind of want to be sure about everything, which is probably what it is. But, um, yeah, be prepared. Yeah, because they'll ask you for a lot of the same documents that you've already provided. And and it gets worse as it gets closer to closing. So make sure that you're proactive in the initial, uh, the initial stages of the closing process. So that means from the time that you put an offer down on the house, that you have all these documents together. And as Ramon said, keep them in a folder so that you have, you know, when you purchase your insurance, you want to make sure that you have proof of it because they'll ask for that several times. Yeah, they need that. Several. So, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 but when you, when you do find the company that you're going to go with the insurance, um, the easy way to kind of just put that out of your hands is your, that agent will just ask for your, uh, your realtor, your agent's, phone number so they can well actually the lender because they're going to communicate and they're going right. to you know the lender is going to tell them what they need to show them proof of you having insurance for the property and you know at, towards the end you uh usually will have to pay like your first month up front right depending on the insurance they may have you pay a month two months or the first and the last month whatever you'll have to pay that but then they'll print out and they'll email you the whole declaration. So it's showing you your coverage and everything. So so we're talking about the closing process. You ain't at the table yet. Yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> you ain't, you ain't at, the, ain't at the table yet. You ain't the title company 
you know, sitting down and signing papers. This is the closing process. This is just to get to the closing table. So um, once the conditions are met, there are a couple other things that you want to make sure that you are doing, you the buyer are doing. You want to make sure that uh, during this time that your credit is not being pulled for any reason, unless you speak to your lender and your lender has approved it and asked the underwriting department that it's okay that you had your credit pulled for whatever reason, but it has to be a damn good reason. If it's not a damn good reason and you didn't run that past your lender and your lender did not speak to the um, uh, the underwriter or underwriters, don't do it. It, it. I mean, that that will kill your sale. You will lose that property or your house. Yeah, you can't have your credit pulled for, like she said, for any reason. And, and to be honest, I don't see what reason you would need your credit pool because you shouldn't be shopping for nothing. Right. You don't need no new credit card. You don't need that new car. You know, you, you might get that car and lose that property. <laughs> so once you, okay. once the, the day you go under contract, that should be the last day you get your credit pool for anything until you close. The day you close, you can go out and get that new car, credit card, whatever it is that you want to get. Um, you can go out and get that because it'll... It'll show up and they will ask you about it, and a lot of times that will kill the deal because they don't. A lot of times the lenders will tell you that too, but just in case they don't, we'll tell you don't have your credit pool for anything. For any reason, we cannot we cannot stress that enough. <laughs> Do not have your credit pool for any reason. Don't make any large purchases. Yes, large no, you unnecessary know. purchases. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're just using your credit card. To buy groceries or... Any normal things, you know, yeah. gas, whatever. But if you're going out and buying, like we said, a car, that's a large purchase. Um, you know, a, a, a full house, uh, a full living room set or, or bedroom <laughs> set, you know, that that's a large purchase. Like, anything, when you, if you go to swipe your car, you're like, oh, this is kind of big. Yeah, that mean don't. Yeah, that, that mean don't. Yeah, leave, leave it alone. Just put all your credit cards up. Until you're done. You know, once you buy that property, then go and do what you want to do. Go splurge and, you know, rack it up if that's what you want to do. <laughs> exactly. All right. So we went through that. We met the conditions of the loan. Ooh, we speed through this. Okay. Now what we do, we prepare to move. We got our list. So mm. what, what happens now when you're preparing to move? Where are you going to live? Oh, yeah, yeah, if yeah. You got If you got FHA, you got to live on site. Duplex. S Triplex, quadplex, whatever it is, somebody's got to move and you got to find out where you're going to live. The decision to the decision of your address, excuse me, should have been made once you did your walkthroughs. Yeah, this is where, you know, you're being proactive because, like she said, if you know you're buying a property, you don't want to be tied into something. Um, like an apartment, um, you know, you don't want to sign a new lease right when, right when you get it under contract. Um, you know, so like, you know, when we did our lease, we were, our lease was ending. And so what we decided to do was go month to month. Now we paid more money because we were month to month, but we knew once we closed, we only had to give our apartment 30 days notice. Right. And then we're out. 
Well, in Seattle, it was 20, 20 days. days. You know what I mean? So we timed it. And like you said, we had 60 days to move into the new um, unit. So you just kind of want to time it. And make sure that you're getting all your ducks in a row. You're planning because, like I said, you got to be in there 60 days. Now, I don't know if they check. <laughs> but just in case they do, you just want to make sure you're up in there. They is FHA hood. FHA, yeah. They just really want to see that you have intention. You know, you have the intent on moving in the property. And there's, you know, just things that might come up that might prevent you, but it has to be a really good reason. So, um, you know, you just want to make sure that you kind of getting all that, you know, in, in action, getting your property, you know, getting your, your apartment leased, you know, making sure that that's going to be up and you can move right into your unit. And also make sure the day you close, if you if that unit that you're going to move into is occupied, you need to go and give them a notice to vacate. Absolutely. They have to have enough time. That When you find out, when you do your walkthrough, you're pretty much going to know who needs to move. But since we're talking about the closing process, you should give that, that tenant enough time to move out because they have to make arrangements to live somewhere. So you want to make sure that you uh, lawfully give them enough time to uh, find a, another place to live. In most days, it's 20 to 30, 30 days. days. Some you know. 60. Well, well, if they're on month to month, I don't. Oh, yeah, if they're if on they're month to month. If they're on month to month, I don't. But if, if they're not, if they're on a full-term lease, uh, technically, legally, you can't touch them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you somehow are buying a property, FHA, and all the units are occupied on a full lease, you probably won't even get to the closing because the lender is going to look at that when they ask you for all the leases. Yeah, the lender is going to ask you for all the leases to the property. And when they look at the leases, if they see that, hey, everybody's on a lease uh, for the next eight months, they're going to be trying to figure out, okay, well, where are you going to live? Which of these units are you moving into? Because if, you know, because they want to make sure you're not buying this as an investment. You know, you're not, you know, taking advantage of the three and a half percent down. So they're going to be trying to see that. Now, there's some instances where you can negotiate something with the seller and he'll negotiate with something with one of the tenants that they will agree to break their lease and move. But that's going to consist of that that tenant being paid. Right. Um, yeah, so, cash for keys. Basically. Yeah, cash for keys. And we'll talk know. about that in another time. But, um, I mean, that's something that the seller could do with the um, tenant. But... Um, you want to make sure, as we said before, that you know where you're going to live. You give that tenant notice. It's a lot easier if the tenant, like Ramon said, if the tenant is on month to, on a month-to-month lease or if their lease is about to end during the time of closing, that's usually the tenant, the, um, the excuse me, the unit that you're going to occupy. I mean, there may be somebody where you went through the walkthrough and they just live terribly, but if they're under a year lease, they have to finish out their lease. You can't make them move unless there's an agreement between the seller and the tenant that you know allows the, that tenant to move out early. Um, but, hopefully you're lucky and it's an empty unit and you don't have to move nobody out. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Well, I mean, if it's a four unit, you want at least a couple of them to be occupied. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. If it's a four unit and three of them occupy and one is empty, 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, you just move right into the end thing. You ain't got to move nobody out. So. All right. So now we're going to talk about a critical document. This is the document that you want to see. And this is the closing disclosure. Now you, uh, wait a minute. I'm tripping here. We received our closing disclosure 24 hours prior, right? That we were able to review? Nope. So, um, by law, you have to be allowed uh, three days three to days. review your closing disclosure. So, a lot of times, um, some lenders will give you that closing disclosure, disclosure uh, maybe four or five days. But they'll tell you, if you don't agree to everything that's on this closing disclosure three, three days prior to closing, then they'll have to, by law, extend the closing. Right. Um, so, if you do it 48 hours then you'll have to they'll have to put an extra day onto your closing. Um and that that could mess some things up depending on, you know, certain, you know, conditions or whatever. But um you wanna review it when they give it to you, you wanna look at that closing disclosure, which is gonna show, you know, interest rates, all your terms, what your monthly payment will be, um, and all the costs. You wanna go through that joint and you wanna make sure everything right. And if you got any questions, ask. Hey, what does this mean? Hey, uh, I thought I was getting this much. Hey, I thought my interest rate was this. Do not be afraid to ask. Make sure yeah. you ask questions until you understand that full closing disclosure. Absolutely. The cost shown on the closing disclosure should be similar to what you saw on the loan estimate. Mm. That's what that's what you receive when you sign the paper saying that I'm going to purchase this home. Now let me let, let, let's say this too real quick because this this is one of our issues. Mm-hmm. So like 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 Kendra said when you before you get through all of this, when you find your lender, you're looking for the property, you get it on the contract, the lender will send you what is called a loan estimate. And this is usually when you can uh, lock in your interest rate. I don't know if we touched on that. But um, lock in your interest rate, meaning if the lender said, hey, we can give you this property at 3.5% down. You say, oh, I want that interest rate. They can lock it in. A lot of times, depending on the lender, between 30 and 60 days. That means if that interest rate, if interest rates go up, mm-hmm. your interest rate don't. It is locked in, right, for that agreed amount of time. But on that loan estimate is basically going to state, you know, all your terms, your interest rate, how much your uh, your APR, uh, how much your um, your down mortgage, is. Yeah, how much your down payment, your mortgage. Uh, with FHA, you're going to have escrow. Yeah, it'll show, it'll show some amortized information, too, won't it? A uh, little bit, but really, you know, your, what your mortgage would be, and that's including your escrow. With your escrow, um, you, you have to have an impound account. Right. That's your escrow account. When you have FHA, the impound account consists of your taxes and your insurance. So you can't, you have to pay that along with your mortgage payment. And they'll take a portion of that and pay your mortgage, which is your principal and your interest. And they'll take another portion of that and they'll put it into this impound account that pay. they'll pay your taxes and your home insurance for you. And so every month you pay. So your mortgage, total mortgage might be $2,000. But um, $1,500 of that may go to your principal and your interest of your property. The other $500 goes towards your home insurance and your taxes each month. Your your annual taxes. Yeah, so you know you pay your taxes usually twice a year, mm-hmm. and your home insurance once a year. So they'll put it into like a savings account, so to speak. 
and they'll pay both of those for you. But it's really it's required in order for you to have FHA. They don't want to leave it up to the buyer to pay those on their own. Right. So they, you have to put that into uh, escrow account. Um, and so, you know, and, and also your home insurance, you usually will pay a year up front at closing. So the amount that they're taking out is for the following year. Um, your taxes as well. You, right. you'll, pay, you'll pay prepaid taxes. So on your loan estimate, it'll also have what is called prepaid costs. You'll see that. You'll be like, hey, what is this? You prepay your interest. And that number is, is large. <laughs> it's, it depends. It's not real large. It depends on when you're closing. So they're saying that each day that you are under the loan, depending on when your loan closes. Yeah, because clo- it's per diem. Yeah, if you close at the beginning of the month, they're going to, uh, I'm sorry, if you close at towards the middle, towards the end of the month, you're paying interest for every day. And that interest could be $30 a day, $40 a day, whatever. So you'll see a line that says prepay interest. And your other prepay cost is your taxes. If taxes is due in April of, of, the, of the year and you close in February, well, you don't have to pay for January and then part of February whenever you close. But you have to pay taxes from February to April or, or really February to June. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have a prepay tax. So there'll be some prepay uh, costs on there, you know, what your title and escrow uh, costs are and things of that nature. And it'll scare you for a second because a lot of times it's higher than what you'll actually end up paying. And they're really just estimated costs. But by law, they have to give you a loan estimate. Yes, absolutely. By law. If your lender does not, you can report them. Yep. So um, the lo- you have the loan estimate in the beginning. And then at the end, you'll have a closing disclosure. They're so similar, pretty much the same uh, kind of document in essence. It's just a closing uh, disclosure is really that final. And once you sign off of it and you, and you sign your name, you are basically stating that everything on that closing disclosure is correct. So that's why you want to make sure it is. Right. And again, federal law requires that your lender get this um, closing disclosure to you at least three business days before closing so that you have plenty of time to review it. If you have any questions, ask your lender consult or consult an attorney if necessary. Um, But everything that's on that closing disclosure should be on your loan estimates. The numbers may not be the exact same because there are some things that are again per diem per day. Um, So it may, you know, the numbers may change and fluctuate a little bit. But if you have any questions about that, you definitely want to make sure that you're consulting your um, lender about that. Do you Um, have anything else to add about the closing disclosure? Hey, just check. Double check. (laughs) Triple check. A lot of times you you will find something incorrect or, like I said, if you don't understand it, ask them. Uh, Because you're paying for it, so you Mm -hmm. want to be sure. And make sure, too, on that closing disclosure that um, anything that is supposed to be credited to you, the buyer, is on that closing disclosure. Yeah, you have a line (laughs) item that says debits and then credits. And so debit is obviously cost that you're paying. Credits is money that you're getting. So you want to make sure that it all adds up. Correct. That is so right. All right. So one thing that we advise that uh, you do during the closing process. Now, again, you're just the, you're going through the closing process. You ain't at the table yet. So 24 
hours prior to closing, do the final walkthrough of your property. Again, we are specifically talking about a duplex, triplex, quadplex. Talking about the um, multifamily. Any any property really you should do. Yeah, that. any any property, but we're specifically talking about you know a multifamily, which we did. Uh, yeah, twenty four hours. You want to we gonna walk through because you don't know what that joint looked like. Right, it's not a formality, uh-huh. but as we said in a previous podcast, we got a call <laughs> that there was a tree that came down on the uh, and damaged the gate of one of the tenants' uh, backyard. And we didn't know that until a tenant called, I think the tenant called our agent because our agent, when we did the inspections, he gave them business cards, you know, if there's anything that, and that did help. That did help because, you know, we were aware of some things coming in there, but we didn't know that we were walking into a, you know, a whole tree, a whole effing tree being on the fence. So, um, we had to pay for that. The sellers should have been responsible for that, but they didn't want to pay for it. They were like, no, we're closing on this property in two days. Cause remember it was two days prior to closing. Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, we had to come out of our pocket and say, Hey, you know, um, we did let the tenants know through our agent. We'll get this, uh, we'll get the tree removed once we close on the property. Cause we weren't paying for nothing until we signed those papers. <laughs> Yeah, you just want to make sure you do that walkthrough. Uh, make sure everything is on the up and up. There's no surprises. Um, now, in the instance that you do the walkthrough and something does happen before closing, um, and it seems, uh, you know, kind of, you know, where the seller didn't want it, the seller may have, may have known, and, you know, that something happened to the roof or something, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you can still go after that seller. Right, you can't um, sue them. Yeah, you can sue them. You know, if there's something like that where that tree failed and say it put a big old hole in the roof and the seller didn't, you know, say nothing about it and he didn't want to fix it or nothing and you closed already, especially when you had FHA, you can definitely go after that seller. So, um, but still. Our do- seller didn't say anything about it. The tenant did. Uh-huh. So we could have went after the sellers, but we didn't. We was like, you know what? We don't want to fight that battle. Uh-huh. <laughs> we just going to have to, you know, Figure something out after closing. Yeah, yeah. You uh, make sure you do that walkthrough. Save yourself some grief. Peace of mind. Absolutely. All right. So um, you do the final walkthrough twenty four hours prior. Next thing you want to make sure you do, once again, is gather your documents because you need these documents to take to closing. They may ask for something at the closing table that they already asked you for. You definitely gonna need photo ID. Uh huh. You definitely need that. Um, a list of addresses. Any if you for married people. If you the wife or the husband have changed your last name, make sure you have a list of you know your 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 signatures basically, you know confirming that you are you. Because remember, on some documents, it had me as, you know, one name, one yeah. name, and you like, who, 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 like, why am I all yeah. these different people? I'm only one person. I had the same name, you know, for for how long? But they're verifying you are who you say you are. Uh-huh. Um, and a list of addresses also helps. 
I don't remember that, but yeah. Yeah, a list of addresses also helps because, especially if you have a, like us, we have P.O. Box. Uh You know, you want to make sure that if you're supposed to be receiving any money or you have an agreement with the seller um, for, let's say, any repairs. And then, you know, if the seller says, hey, you know what, I decided that uh, I don't want to have this repaired. So I'm just going to send you a check or whatever you've worked out. I don't know why you would do that. But if you have anything worked out, make sure that you have a current address listed um, on all the documents because your your mailing address and your physical address may be different. So you want to make sure that you let um, escrow know that. Also. Yeah, just make sure that on, on those docu- title companies, right? Me. Just make sure on all those documents that, like she said, any correspondence to you from anyone, whether it be the lender, uh, your agent, you know, uh, the brokerage office, uh, or your insurance company, the address for them to correspond with you is your physical address, um, may, the unit maybe that you're living in, or if you have a PO box. Like we said, we didn't, um, you know, we didn't really want mail, especially our personal mail coming to the property. We we had a PO box, so you know it didn't. If any mishaps happened, like there was with our property in the in the mailbox, uh, the mailman, you know, he was putting all kind of uh, personal mail in the wrong mailbox, yes. and so some of our tenants was getting it. Um, they was coming giving us our insurance papers and all kind of stuff, you know. And that could have been, you know, they could have looked and seen all that. You don't want that. So, um, you know, we, I would say, I would suggest to get a P.O. box. You know, it could be real, you know, close to your um, your property. Go to the uh, the, U, the U.S. Post Office or I think even uh, UPS. UPS you can, FedEx, um, they have P.O. boxes too. And UPS, um, they have uh, P.O. boxes, but they can you can get them with the actual physical address. Yeah. Oh, um, so, you did tell you know, me that. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, just, you know, make sure because a lot of times when they're writing up these documents, they'll just put the address of the property. So, like you said, if you got a check coming or anything, it'll go to the property and they might go to one of your tenants. Right. So, you don't want that. Yes, definitely. We advise getting a P.O. box because... Just don't yeah. have anything coming on that property right. that contain that pertains to that property. Right. Any personal um, um, mail, just pay for a PO box. Again, gathering your documents, you want to make sure that you have a list of everything that you need. Usually, the closing agent is pretty good about anything that you need to bring to that closing table. Now, remember, we ain't at the closing table yet. We just talking about specifically talking about what you you know gathering your documents. So they'll be available when you're sitting at the closing table. Make sure you bring the homeowner's insurance policy, photo ID. If for some reason, um, let's say you got married or you changed your name during the closing process, bring that information Mm -hmm. for verification. I say a list of addresses for the last five years, 10 years, whatever they prefer. They'll let you know. Uh, Cashier's check. (laughs) <laughs> oh, so yeah. <laughs> Make sure you have a cashier's check so to the close because mon- yeah, you got to pay for that. The money you're bringing to closing, you cannot make that out into a personal check. Mm-mm. You cannot bring cash. You cannot bring a, I don't even, can you do a money order? I don't even no, believe you, you can do a do money, money order. order. No. It had to be a cashier's, a cashier's check. check. Or, um, like we did, is we did a wire. Mm-hmm. So we wired, and because... Uh, depending on, I think twenty five thousand 
um, if you're wiring 25,000 or more, um, it's an extra step where it takes a little longer to wire, but we were right up under that. Um, and so that takes 24 hours. So we actually had to wire that amount to the title uh, escrow company, um, I believe a day or two before. Two days before. Mm. And bring proof yeah. of anything that you wired or anything that you had to pay for. Bring all, bring them receipts to closing because th that's part of the documents. And bring your checkbook just in case because for some small um, charges or fees, if you mm -hmm. have to pay for something, you want to make sure that you bring your checkbook too, just in case. Because you're gonna have to pay for that. They're not gonna let you close. Yeah, you, but, you hold um, on closing. And also with the wire, double check who you're sending to. So you know, because you don't want to get the wrong numbers, account numbers for the escrow, um, anything like that. You want to make sure that they gave you all the correct information. Because you sending fifteen, twenty thousand, or whatever, <laughs> you know, Billy Bob end up with that money and it's gone. So you just want to make sure that um, when you're corresponding with escrow and they're giving you the information, their account numbers and everything to send that, to wire that money to, you want to look at it, you want to double check, call them, verify it two, three times, say, hey, is this the correct uh, information? This is the person, this is the number. They say yes. Okay, and then you go ahead and send it through. All right. So the last step, you at the closing table. You're finally made it to the closing table make sure you the buyer bring your check cashier's check mm. and your checkbook um, and give yourself enough time to thoroughly review the documents because they're going to put a ton of documents in front of you and the documents that you are reading is part of the closing process or is the closing process it's the actual legal transfer of the home or for, in our case, the property from the seller to you, the buyer. So you want to make sure you're reviewing everything with a fine tooth comb. And, and say, you know what? If you're, if you were working like we were, set yourself enough time. Take that day off because you'll have a closing date. Take that day off. The morning, at whatever you got to do to take off, take it off. Cause you don't want to be rushing through those documents cause you're spending a lot of money on this property and you don't want to rush through this. This is your investment. This is your life. You know, um, this is again, this is your wealth. So you want to make sure that you're giving yourself enough time to read through everything instead of, you know, saying, Hey, it's only going to be an hour. So, okay. If it is an hour and you, you know, you, you set your time to go back to work whenever, you want to make sure that you have enough time to ask any questions if necessary. Yeah, she's right. You when you know where your closing date is, and sometimes that'll get changed. You know, somebody needs some more information, the underwriter, whatever. Something happens, so they got to keep changing the closing date. You know, that happened to us a few times. But when you know exactly the day you close, take the day off. And I, hey, if you got a call to work. Right, calling the work. Cause I did. Cause you know what? That's, you know, me personally. This, this, I don't call in the work sick. You know, I don't know why you did. Yeah, don't call in the work sick. You know what I'm saying? But if you gotta take the day off, take the day off. Yeah. You know, I want to see if you gotta take the day off. Take the day off if you don't already have it. Call in or do whatever you gotta do. Put ahead and use a holiday, vacation, whatever. Because I'm gonna tell you why you really want the day off. 
You want the day off for one reason is because, like you said, you got a lot of documents. They'll tell you, you know, oh, it's only going to take an hour, hour, mm-hmm. 15 minutes. But you got to, th- you're going to be signing so many papers. Right. You're going to get carpal tunnel. But you want to make sure that you're looking at all those documents that you're signing. You know, they'll, they'll have some idea to tell you what it, you know, summarize it, but you want to read it. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I, I take my time, you know, before I yes, sign all of them, you, I'm reading it. You he know? read it first. Ramon read it first, and then I read it. If there was a question that either one of us had, he asked, you know, the, the um, title agent or the escrow agent that was sitting there. Well, actually, that that's the most times the notary. The notary. The, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, notary. the notary republic. That you ask them because they have, you know, the necess- they, they take a class so that they know, you know, what documents you're signing, what statements, you know, are being made. Um, but what they, payments have been exchanged? They, they can't. They can't. They can't give you those specific information pertaining to the documents. They can only tell you like where to sign and briefly what it means because means, they've yeah. already looked at it. But so any kind of specific information, you really got to go to your lender for that. Yeah. Um, but this is why you want to ask all these questions before you get to the closing because once you get to that closing table, you're signing documents. You know that's the. That's the end of the road right there, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you want to take time. And, you know, before you go in there, let the, let the, let the notary know, hey, I know you said it's going to take an hour, but we're reading all these documents. <laughs> we so did that. It might, it might take two hours, two right. and a or half. Longer. But you know what? They can pay a couple hundred dollars for that you know, you pay, hour or two. And you paid them. Yeah, yeah you, see, you, you paid them. You're paying the notary, so mm-hmm. don't apologize. Just tell At them, hey, all. listen, this is a lot of papers we got to sign. We reading each one, so you can tell us what it means, but we're gonna read through and make sure we know what we're signing. Um, so that's one reason, because it could be in the morning, it could take a few hours. And you don't want to be rushing, because you got to get back to work and you end up signing something that you didn't understand. Right. So um, the other reason is, which which happened to us, because we had to move in one of the units. And because of the 20-day notice law in the state of Washington, the day we closed was the last day that we can give them a notice for them to vacate the unit. Because if we did, if we didn't do it the day we closed, then by law, we would have had to wait till the next month to give them a notice. And they that would have drug out the time period for us to be able to get them out of the unit. So to put it in perspective. We closed on February 7th. Right. We had to give them the notice actually by February 8th, 8th. because of February 28 days, 20-day notice. You count 20 days from the end of the month. If we didn't give it to them by the 8th, and let's say we gave it to them on the 9th. We had to wait until. We would have to wait until um, March 1st. Technically, we could have waited until March, uh, I believe, 11th, since it was 31 days mm-hmm. in March. To give them their notice, but they still would have had to till March 31st to move out. But the lender, the underwriter required that we give them notice at that time, though. No, they did not. The lender, the lender, all the lender cares that you moving in and within 60 days. Mm-hmm. But because, you know, they was on month to month, we mm-hmm. we had to do that. Right. We okay. had to make sure we gave them the notice on the correct time period because you got to think. Because we need to be in there within 60 days, that means by April 7th, we need to be in that in that unit. Mm-hmm. If they was if we waited too long and they could, could stay till March 31st, that gives us a week to move in. 
Yeah. Plus the the work we would, we had to put into that unit to turn it over, you know, to kind of rehab because it was so it was so nasty. That wasn't enough time. <laughs> so the cat and the dog. Yeah, you know, the cats and the dog and all that crap. So it, you you want to give yourself that whole day because you don't know what you're gonna have to do because once you sign, you get the keys. You're not an owner. And you don't know what you might have to do that day. You don't want to be rushing. Oh, man, I got to go back to work. No, take the day off. You want to kind of bask in in closing anyway. You know, hey, man, we new owners. We got the property. You know, like I said, once you sign them documents, they give you the keys to the property. Give you a little envelope. Give you all the keys, uh, the mailbox keys. uh, Oh, you also want to make sure, too. That's why you want the day off, too. Because you want to make sure that all those keys work. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. You want to make sure all those keys is the correct keys. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, then you, you want to make sure you get that straightened out. So, um, you know, there's things that you, you're going to need to do, and you just take the day off. If you take two days off, take two days off, to be honest with you, but at least that day. Yeah, you definitely want to take that day off. The other reason why you want to take that day off is because, um, oh, and also let me say this too, at closing, any agreements that you and the, you, the buyer and the seller have should be completed or a contract um, for a determined completion date should be agreed upon and should be in that, clo- in that closing, um, those closing documents that you receive. So you wanna make sure any agreements that you have, like if the, if the roofs are being fixed as you're closing, you want to make sure that everything has already been paid for by the seller and, you know, um, that y'all have an agreement that this has been paid for. You're not responsible for any repairs or anything that was the responsibility of the, of the seller. Make sure all that is in the closing documents because you want to CYA. Um, mm-hmm. But just moving on from that, you got anything to add to, to that part? No, just other than getting the keys. Yeah, make sure you get the key. Oh, make sure you get the keys, and also make sure in those closing docs, um, about the security deposits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The tenants. That was just about to get to that. Okay. So yeah, we we gonna get into it. And the leases. Yeah. So you want to make the deposit checks and the applications and the move-in forms. So we're getting into all that right now. What you need um, from the seller concerning those tenants. And actually, this is all, you want to have all this before you even get to the closing table. Ex- so yeah. so we're going to back it up just, just a little bit. So the day, you know, the day of, before that, um, you want to make sure that you, um, so you want to make sure that, um, you know, even before the day that you go to closing, you want to make sure that you get with your real estate agent and tell the seller, you know, or have the seller's agent, you want to make sure you have all the leases to all the tenants with addendums with any addendums if necessary you know if necessary that means if they uh, any of the tenants resigned their lease prior to you know you getting the property or anything um, any of the tenants applications so when they move the tenant in they did an application right you want that because that has the tenants information um, you want to make sure that you have uh, deposit check deposit security check. deposit security deposit so any security deposits um, you want to make sure that, you know, you have that from the seller because that's not his anymore. And a lot of times they'll debit that from the seller. And give it to he, you. Yeah, because he'll keep it. 
but they'll take it from him out of the cell and then they'll just give it to you in closing. Um, and so you want to make sure you have all the security deposits. Um, anything that has to do with those tenants, you want to make sure you have that before you go to closing. And you want to make sure that it is all correct. Um, so. Yeah, move-in forms. Oh, yeah, move So in. when you do that, remember how we discussed that um, you should do the walkthrough? Um, now, mind you, prior to all the closing, you're going to have the information of the tenant leases with the addendums, the deposit checks, security deposits, tenant applications. You're going to have all that information. You just want to make sure that um, you also receive the move-in forms. So when you're doing the walkthrough, this is a good time to look at the move-in forms for each unit. And the move-in well. form, she's saying, is a move-in checklist. So when before the tenant moved in, hopefully that owner did a move-in checklist. So if they just rehab that unit, you know, you go through with the tenant, you show them, hey, this is new carpet, new paint, everything. This is how it looks before you moved in. So when you take over, say that tenant, you know, six months from now, their lease ends and they're leaving, and you got their security deposit and you look at the moving checklist and, you know, you go in that unit and some doors got holes in it. The walls got holes in it, you know, all kind of stuff. You can go back to that moving checklist and say, oh, OK, well, this wasn't like that when they moved in. Right. And if you have to take it out of the deposit and the tenant gets mad, hey, you know, why you take my money? You can say, <laughs> look, um, I had your moving checklist from the previous owner and it shows the condition of your unit before you moved in and it doesn't look anything like it is now so this is why you know we took money out of your security deposit to cover these costs so like she said when you're doing your final walkthrough that's a good time to take any move-in checklist and go through and verify right and so you'll know you'll take notes yeah so um any rents again as ramon mentioned uh, will come to you, the new owner. Mm -hmm. uh, this is also a great time to transfer any utilities. So you want to make sure the utilities are transferred from the, the previous, previous seller or previous seller, previous owner to you, the new owner. Um, yeah, you want to make sure that, and also, of course, you're always going to make sure that you know who is responsible for the utilities. If you, the new owner, pays all utilities, make sure that all the utilities are in your name. And don't they ask for that information at um, closing? They do not. That is for you to do. So you'll have right. to um, call in, you know, electric company, water, you know, gas, whatever, and you'll have to call them the day you close and say, hey, I'm the new owner. I need to switch these utilities over into my name. And you have to give them the address and you know usually it's a seeming you know the easy it's, process yeah, it's seamless. you know seamless yeah but i don't know it, it <laughs> depending on who you get it could be different right so, it can be it um, can be very difficult <laughs> yeah it, it's crazy but that's that's really that's probably one of the easiest things um because they want to know who they can build but you should you should still take time off so when we say take that day off from work, if you're if you're working, these is all the things you're gonna be doing. Yeah, you don't want to be doing these things during the week while you're working. Mm -hmm. Take a day or two. I preferably I say take two, um, but at least one because you your whole day gonna be filled with you doing all these things. So like you said, you want to make sure the utilities is transferred over. Um, if any of those tenants were Section Eight tenants, yeah, you have to contact uh, the housing authority um, and or their caseworker. And let them know you are the new owner now and you will be taking over 
and they're going to switch any of that information over so any of those section eight uh, checks and they'll ask for your um account number account number and uh don't they ask for like something from the closing document saying that you're the new owner you have to send them uh, basically the deed a copy of the deed mm-hmm. showing that you are the new owner so they don't you know so they know who to send them checks to they don't want to be sending it to the wrong person um, so you had to send them a few pieces of information just showing that you are, the, in fact, the new owner and your bank account information because on the first of the month, every month with Section 8, you get a check in your account. Yeah, it's automatically deposited if you've set it. Well, That's why I like Section yeah, 8. Yeah, if you set it up that way. Um, and also, I would say instead of calling them that this is a good time for you to actually go down to the housing authority yes. because they, they like that. They actually like they let me tell you something. There was never a time that us as landlords that we emailed them and we had to wait days for a reply. I don't ever remember that. This ain't a section eight podcast. We we were at and that's that's a long <laughs> one, you know, because right, it is. a lot of a lot of owners as we came to, to they know, treat it like section eight is the devil. They don't like section eight, you know, because they equate section eight to being um, you know, this is bad tenants. Like, no, that's for everyone that lives in the hood. This is other, like, landlords that we would know. Some of them don't the like hood, it, but you know, know what? Whatever. Hey, that was the types like... of people that are on Section 8. But let me tell you, most people that are on Section 8 actually work. They actually have a job. But even even still, um, in our case, too, they were a couple of the cleanest tenants, you know. And, and Section 8, you know, I love it. And like she said, they like it when you come down there as the owner mm-hmm. and uh, and communicate with them and they know who to contact directly and then you know who to contact directly because, believe me, if you have any problems out of your Section 8 tenant, the last thing they want you to do is contact their caseworker. Yeah. Because if any of y'all know about Section 8, they um, could it, could take, yeah, it could take them years just to get Section 8. And they don't want to lose that. Cause, you know, if they rent a thousand dollars, a lot of times some of them only paying a hundred dollars or nothing. Yeah, or nothing. So they don't want to lose that. So I, that's that's one good reason why I like Section Eight because if your tenant is tripping, and you contact that caseworker and say, "Hey, look, this is the problems I'm having with so and so," and a lot of times that caseworker will contact them and it'll be done. <laughs> that is, <laughs> so oh man, you don't even have that. That's why I like Section Eight because you don't even really have to police that tenant or have any main real problems from them because they don't want to lose that benefit. And it's not to say you take advantage of anything, but it's more to say that if they don't pay rent or they do anything crazy, you just contact the caseworker. And, and a lot of times it'll get handled. Right. But see, you're not contacting Section 8 until after you get those keys. So once you get those mm-hmm. keys, then you'll contact Section 8. You'll go down to the office, introduce yourself, get get the uh, caseworkers information for those tenants because you'll have their application so you'll know who is the Section 8 tenant. Uh, oh, sorry to cut you off. I don't want to forget fine. this. You definitely want to contact Section 8 ASAP. Ooh, and you might, but I'm going to tell you why, you might want to contact them before. And this is why. If you're closing, let's say on the 25th of the month. Oh, yeah. 27th yeah. of the month and you're getting close to the first of the month, depending on what happens, if you close, let's say, on the 31st of the month, and you call Section 8 and say, hey, I'm the new owner. We need you to switch over everything into our name. Remember, the checks that they're depositing into the account, they go automatically. So there's a good chance that when the first hits, 
the checks that you're getting for the Section 8 tenants won't come to your account. They're going to go to the old owner's account. Yeah, we just had an um, unscrupulous seller try yeah, to yeah, keep yeah. some checks. So you kind of, if you have Section 8 tenants, we'll say this in the beginning, if you know ahead of time you got Section 8 tenants and they're going to end up staying after you close, you want to get ahead, you want to really just be proactive. Call Section 8 and say, hey, listen. We got Section 8 tenants. We're, out, we're you know, in the process of closing. We need to um, kind of get that jump started to get the information switched over to our name. So those checks, or what they really would do is say, okay, well, depending on what day you close, let us know, and then we'll put a stop payment on any checks after that. So the old owner won't get the money. It'll just be on hold until they get your information in the system. And then the checks will come directly to you. And so, you know, you got to think, man, these checks come on the first of every month automatically. That'd be one of the first things I do. <laughs> I, I want my money. You know, and, you know, Section 8, they come. I'm telling you, I don't think it ever came after the first of the month. Sometimes you got to. It, it the came before. Yeah. yeah. If there was a holiday, it would yeah, come before. come like the 30th, the 31st. So they, every month. And if that tenant, if you lucky and you get a tenant, where Section 8 pays all their rent, oh, man, you winning. Oh, yes. You winning because you, you ain't, you know, in most cases, you you getting that money from Section 8 and then a portion of the tenant pays. And a lot of times, you know, it, it won't be much. They'll pay it. But depending on how much it is, you know, you still may have to try to wait to get that tenant to pay their portion. But if Section 8 is paying most of it or all of it, you you don't have no problems. Yeah, and, and again, as Ramon um, said, I'm going to reiterate. With Section 8, when you tell that Section 8 tenant to do something or if, if you have to serve them some sort of notice, let's say, let's use an example, a disturbance or something. If they keep having that same occurrence, all you got to say is, you know what, here's, Here's the notice from us. You give them a three-day or a 10-day notice. You send that paperwork to Section 8, and then Section 8 says, hey, you know what? We got a lot of notices, dude. This uh, landlord is going to put you out. Yeah, that we, tenant is going to clean. I'm, I'm just trying to give them a positive, uh -huh. you know, of, of know Section what? 8 because some people think of Le Section 8 as the devil. And Le our Le cleanest Le tenants Le some of that for the podcast. Are sec we're Section 8. Yeah, at least some of that. Cause we're gonna have a whole episode yeah. about section eight and our experience. <laughs> He's like, hold on, you giving away the milk. Don't give too much right now. Yeah, don't give them too much right now. So, um, but you know, we'll we'll leave it open for people to kind of decide. But um, another thing we want to I, I want to add too is um, you know, like you said, when you go to the closing disclosure, you want to make sure everything is right, mm -hmm. especially the rents. So, like I said, depending on if you're closing, let's say, on the first of the month or the second of the month, you got to remember tenants are starting to pay rent around that time. And they might be looking to pay it to the old owner. If you're the new owner, that's why that day you close, you want to go out and print. You want to print up some forms and go to each tenant, introduce yourself, say, hey, you know, this is so I'm so and so. We're the new owners. Um, you know, you give them a letter which basically states who you are, your name, um, where they can send rent payments. There'll be other little information you can put on that. Um, yeah, we did a newsletter. 
We're just kind of introducing ourselves. You just tell them that, hey, look, your deposit, your security deposit um, was transferred over to us. That's going to be held in this bank account. Uh, it's a, a savings. You have to keep all security deposits in the savings. You can't touch it. Um, right. And, you know, other little things. But one thing that they're going to you, you want them to know and they're going to want to know is where to send rent payments and how you're going to accept rent payments. Some people will accept cash. We don't. I don't even advise that. And we did not accept checks either. You send that check to the P.O. box. We do not take checks in our hand. If you live on site um, and, you know, it's strictly up to you. But if you live on site, um, as, as we did, um, we didn't allow the tenants to pay us um, their rent. You know, whether it was in the form of cash, a check, a money order. We wanted to develop a system where they get in the habit of mailing that check to our P.O. box. Now, some people think, oh, man, that's crazy. You you live on site. Why they can't just come up and give yeah, it to you? but those disturb- disturbances, I mean, cause you, some people could be, you know, in- interfering with your life. And I don't want to get stopped. You know, I'm trying to go to work or Ramon's trying to go to work. And you trying to stop and give me a check and ask me a bunch of questions. And, and not only that, you know, they're going to pay it at the last minute mm-hmm. because they know you live right next door. Right. Or they'll pay it late, you know. It's it, it just too many complications, you know, and um, I know some people say, well, I could put a little uh, mailbox outside my door and just let them come and drop the, the rent in that. Well, we didn't want that either because what if somebody came and stole it? Right. And they like, oh, well, I put my rent check in there. Well, you don't have no way to know if they're lying or not. That just delays the time of you getting your check. So, you know, just to prevent all of that, we tell them, hey, every month, this is where you're going to mail your rent to. Money order or check, cashier's check, this is where you'll mail it to. And if you really want to be savvy, if you have, you know, uh, some tenants who um, are not afraid of, you know, the computer, um, there's a lot of uh, online rental platforms like E-Rent and, you know, some other ones that you can set up. You can set up uh, accounts for them to pay online. Mm -hmm. Um, And that way you don't even have to worry about, you know, collecting rent checks and, and all that stuff like that. So... Um, and the other cool thing, when you talk about FHA, you not only, or when, depending on the day that you close, like I said, the best time to close is the beginning of the month. Because when those tenants is paying rent, you getting all those rent checks. Uh, minus the days that you um, didn't close. So like you said, you have per diem. If you close on the fifth of the month, then... All those rent checks for that month come to you minus the first, second, third, fourth day. Because technically you didn't own the property, the seller did. So he'll get uh, part of that rent, those rent checks for those four days. But that's the best time to close the beginning of the month because you're getting the rent for the whole month. Mm -hmm. And not only that, when your loan switches over, you won't have a, a, a rent payment due like in our case, we closed mortgage the beginning. Payment. Yeah, mortgage payment. I'm sorry. <laughs> like in our uh, uh, case, we closed on the seventh of February. Our first our first mortgage payment wasn't until April first. Right. So you getting rents for? We got rents for February. We got rents for March, and we didn't have a. Uh, and then we got rents for April, but that went to the mortgage payment of April. So you it's like you getting two months of rent. And you don't have to pay that to anyone. So yeah, we, we saved it. Though. We saved it. We put it in our account, and we use that to kind of you know do some 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 fixing you know on on the units and, and around the property. 
But that's another cool little thing that, you know, you, you get a couple of months, so to speak, that you don't have no mortgage payment. Right. That was nice. <laughs> yeah. Some people don't know that. Yeah. Some people don't know that. Um, I mean, wow, we went through that pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, we went through that pretty quickly. Wow. It, it, that went a lot quicker than I expected. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm just like really tripping out here because I thought we was gonna be like three hours where we gonna have to split it up into two podcasts. Nah, nah, nah. they like nah. Y'all did the last one, like <laughs> right? Yeah. Get yourself together. Um, but yeah, that just wow. That is a uh, very quick synopsis because the closing process, as we said before, you want to make sure that you have your ducks in the row that you um, meet all the conditions of the loan that you're reviewing, that closing disclosure. You, If you have any questions, you're speaking to your lender, and if you have an attorney, because in some states they do require that you have an attorney also, that you're consulting your attorney. And if at any time you feel like you need to speak to an attorney, speak to an attorney. Don't let anybody you know, discourage you from speaking to an attorney. If you feel like you wanna pay for that and, and it's necessary, do it. We advise doing the final walkthrough because we told you our horror story. Um, not only did we have the tree issue, but we had another, you know, other little maintenance issues that happened prior to closing that we found out uh, prior to closing. And uh, after we closed, we definitely had to get those taken care of. Uh, make sure that you're, again, gathering all your documents, um, that you uh, use a cashier's check and not, <laughs> not bring your checkbook because... Um, title, uh, excuse me, because title requires that you bring a cashier's check. Let's see. Um, oh, also, you're getting the rents from the tenants uh, during closing, any lease leases with addendums, deposit checks, security deposits, applications, and move-in forms from the tenants. And also, if you have any estoppel agreements, that's also what you want to have as well. Uh, the estoppel agreements basically say, hey, I'm a tenant. This is what I pay. This is when I moved in. This is when I moved out. Um, this is all my information. What else would be on an estoppel agreement? I'm just showing uh, it'll tell, you know, what their lease terms were, um, you know, how much their security deposit. It's really just the seller and the tenant are basically stating the same thing. Right. As long as they say the same thing on that estoppel agreement and they both sign it, then that is reassurance for you as a new buyer. So when you go in and that you know that tenant say, "Hey, I paid a five hundred dollars for my security deposit," and you say, "Well, I only got three, and it's a estoppel you know certificate that you signed, and the seller said you only paid three. So either you lying or you just don't know. Right. So I'm <laughs> going to go buy this. Exactly. That's exactly. all that is. And um, also, we need to talk about um, our agents gifted us a home warranty. Yes. So you want to make sure that you find out what the home warranty covers. And do you want to discuss that a little bit? Sometimes you'll have an agent. Um, not every agent will do it. I mean, it doesn't make them bad or not. But some agents will do it, you know, as a gift. Um, and they'll purchase your first year uh, for a home warranty. Um, and if they don't do it, I suggest doing it. Um, and if, you know, if you have, if you're buying a house, um, a duplex, triplex, fourplex, you don't have to get the home warranty on every unit. You can just get the home warranty on the unit you're living in. 
um, I would suggest to do that, you know, at the least. Um, and, you know, you can search. Um, there's a lot of home warranty companies out there. You know, if you really want to know, you know, which ones that we like, um, you know, just contact us and we'll let you know. Um, email, Facebook, all that stuff. So, um, but you want to get that because you're just moving into the property, especially if you're living on site. You're just moving into the unit. Um, you, you've gotten the inspection, so you probably pretty much know um, you know what needs to be fixed and what's okay but just in case something happens you kind of want to be covered so most warranties you can get them for about five uh, to six six hundred and fifty for the whole year and um, what you'll do is if let's say your HVAC goes out um, or your plumbing something with your plumbing or your electrical you'll have a home warranty that um, pretty much covers all that stuff. You'll just pay for them to come out. It's usually like a trade service fee. Mm -hmm. It could be $30, $50, $60. They'll come out, and most of the time, it's covering in your home warranty. But you'll you'll go through and look at the plans. Um, but like I said, a lot of times the realtor, as a gift, they'll pay for your first year of the home warranty. And a lot of times you might like it, and you'll renew it You know, if you end up staying. Right. So um, that's kind of a good thing to do. Um, just kind of some added protection because even though you have insurance or home insurance, you don't want to use your home insurance unless you really need it. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you use your home insurance, let's say your uh, a pipe in your in your wall busted and it flooded um, your carpet, you know, let's say, but just in one room. But your insurance, let's say you, your insurance, uh, your home insurance is a, a five thousand dollar deductible. Well, if you make a claim, you got to pay $5,000 before the insurance kicks in. And that the cost to repair your carpet and to fix that piping, it might be $6,000. You know, so you're paying 5000 just to get the extra 1000 Like, And that claim now goes on your record. So when you go to get home insurance again, they're going to ask you, hey, have you filed any claims? Mm -hmm. You're going to say, yeah, I did. Your insurance premium might go up now because they see that you you use the claim. So, you know, I know people don't really say this, and they didn't say it to us. Um, you want to gauge how much you want your your deductible to be on your home insurance. Um, if you're buying, you know, anything up to a four unit, my suggestion is to don't make your deductible um, over eh, twenty five twenty five hundred. I would say three thousand. Because really, you want to use that that home insurance on a big item, right. like if if it catches on fire, if the roof caves in, um, if you sitting on a sinkhole or something. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah, you know, like something big where you know it's gonna cost thousands of dollars. Well, you don't want your deductible to be five thousand or ten thousand, right? You now you got to pay that just for your insurance to kick in. You want it to be high enough but low enough to where you can pay it. Um, but, you know, I know some people will make their deductible high because that makes your monthly payment low. But you don't want to do that. And, and even on FHA, they will only allow your deductible to be so high. Mm -hmm. And I, usually I believe it's 1%. It can be over 1% of the purchase price of the home or the property. So if your property is 500000 your deductible can't be higher than 5000 So, um that's just kind of my thing. Don't, you know, don't try to utilize your, your home insurance for any little thing. You know, somebody broke in and stole your Xbox. 
you know, you don't use your home insurance for that. Just pay that out your pocket, you know, or or your or get your home warranty. Right. The home, home warranty is it was great for us because we used it for an air conditioning issue. So it, it definitely came it definitely came in um in on time. <laughs> yeah, you use it for anything and I and I use it. You know, we, we sure call we're we calling them up. It. Yeah. You know, well, we didn't pay for it. The realtor did, but well, we, the first year, yeah, we ended up renewing it the the second year. So, um, and yeah. some of them suck. So yeah, you want to make sure that you read the reviews and you ask questions. Email us, hit us up. We'll tell you the one that we yes, like. Yes. We don't give no free promotion, but right. we'll tell you. We'll tell you the one that we <laughs> not like. Yet. Yeah, yeah, we'll tell you the one that we like because a lot of them are not good. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them, and some of them, you know, they have that fine print. Where they'll say, oh, we'll cover the HVAC. We, we don't cover this, 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 this. And it's like, well, what do you cover? But not the net. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Something <yeah>. like that. <laughs> I had one guy at work. He, I won't say the company. But he called me. You know, He's like, man, what was the name of the company that you told me about? And I said, uh. And I told him. And he was like, dang, I wish I would have known. Well, he, um, his air went out. Um, or it, was, it stopped blowing cold. Mm. And so in the middle of the night, you know, he was like, so he called them. And he paid, I believe, $70 for them to come out. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> they said they fixed it, but they added, like, some extra uh, Freon to the HVAC. And and most uh, home warranties, you'll get, like, a ton or up to two tons included. Oh, okay. But I guess his is only a ton, he said. So they charge him, like, an extra uh, $150, almost $200. And he was like, man, where did this charge come from? He's like, yeah, because we had to... They didn't ask him or tell him the issue first. They're supposed to come out and diagnose what the issue is, right. tell you what's wrong, and then say, hey, you know, I will go ahead and fix this covered. If it's not covered, they're supposed to tell you, hey, this is not covered, um, and this is how much it'll cost. And they didn't tell him. They just fixed it or did whatever they did and told him, hey, okay, yeah, here's your bill, $200. Damn. <laughs> I said, man, you should have told me. You know, <laughs> I'd have told you who we with because we called ours about three times. Three times, mm-hmm. yeah. We they paid, were very, yeah. Uh, I mean, they were very good. Very I think our, good. our fee uh, for them to come out was like $69. But the things that they, you know, they had to fix, we would have paid a little bit more yeah, than that. we would have paid some Probably some three, four change. times more than that. Yeah, so that's a good little thing to get, you know, first, your first property, give you a little peace of mind, a little added security, you know, you got your home insurance, you know, increase the liability on your auto insurance, you got the uh, umbrella insurance, and then now you get your little home warranty. Exactly. Well, you summarized that great. I like that. <laughs> so, you know what? It seems like you're done. So, you've already, you know, done everything at the closing table, but there is one thing that um, that a lot of people forget about, uh, and that's the homestead. Um, it's different in, in a lot of, you know, in most states. It's automatic in most states, but please don't assume. You want to talk to your real estate agent or your closing agent about it, and I'm reading this part. A homestead declaration registers your home with both the federal and state governments as your primary residence, and it protects in different ways. Again, it depends on your state. Uh, Federal protections are uniform, of course, but some states are more generous than others, like Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, The details can be complicated, but um, the homestead typically gets you at least three types of protection if you've ever faced bankruptcy. 
um, homestead can uh, help prevent the forced sale, uh, the forced sale of your home to pay debts, except of course mortgage liens, and I think tax liens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it exempts you from certain amount of property taxes and helps a surviving spouse stay in the home. In you know, in a case where um, the husband or wife passes. So um, you file with your county assessor's office. Um, if there's an attorney involved, you definitely want to consult your attorney about the homestead process also. But the homestead is something that after you purchase your home, they'll email, excuse me, they'll send you the paperwork and you'll fill that out, send it back. And um, sometimes you get tax credits and such. Yeah, state specific. Not every state does it. Um, but do your research on it because I think it affects the value of your property. Yes. Um, where, you know, you do get some money off the taxes, but I think it can affect the value um, of your property, which if you're in a city where property values goes up, you don't want, um, you know, your property be, to be devalued because you took part into the homestead exemption to pay lower taxes you want to be able to take advantage of the appreciation in your market. So just, you know, kind of weigh your options on that, do your research on it, and see if that's, you know, something that you want to take advantage of. Yeah, again, in some states it's automatic, so you don't have a choice, but um, you want to research that. Is there anything else that you want to add, Ramon? I think we covered a lot. Yes, we covered a hell of a lot. And... By this, by this time, you should have had the property. You should have the keys. You should be like, man, <laughs> we in there, you know. Right. We got, got, got the first purchase. And, you know, hey, this is the start um, to something very addictive. At least for me it is. And that's... that's. You know, Hopefully going. for our audience it will be too. Because when, as I've always been told, when a man can walk on his own floors... That that is something you can hold your head up high and say, you know, this is mine. That's when you have a home. But when you got a property, you can say, this, these, are mine. I own these. Hey, when you get that first rent check, it, it's it's kind of uh, liberating. It was liberating. Yeah, it's it's a good feeling when you're like, oh dang, I know. Guess people paying me to <laughs> right. live, on, you know, on your, and you know, especially if you live on site. The tenants, you know, they it, it probably can make them uncomfortable because they're like, oh, I can't, you know, certain things I can't do now, you know, because the owner lives next door, <laughs> you know, and, and that that's, we'll talk about that, you know, but, um, you know, living on site. I know some people have asked us about that. Well, so how is it living on site? Like, it, it, it's it's a lot. We, we <laughs> It is a lot, you know what I'm saying? We're not going to lie to you about that. It's, it's kind of like living next door to your mama, you know, in a way. And I know some people are cool with their mama, but, you know, it's like, eh, you know. She can get on your I nerves love you. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? You're like, I love your mama, but I don't want to live this close. Right. Because you, you see everything. everything. You see everything. You hear everything. And it's, 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 it's different. But at the same time, you have to keep in the back of your mind, you know, you are You just got to discern. You really, you really do. Really. You have to be patient. <laughs> It's gonna take a lot of patience because um, you're gonna experience a lot of things. But you know, as at the same time, you have to look at the bigger picture. You know, it, um, everybody doesn't do this, and if everybody did it, if it was easy, everybody do it, right? So right. you just kind of got to look at the bigger picture. You are an owner now. You call the shots. You know, um, so they're looking at you. Hey, 
that's the owner right there, you know. And you got to <laughs> act like it. You know, you're the owner. People come onto your property, they say, hey, who the owner? Oh, there he is right there. You know, people do things, hey, hey, bro, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we own this. Don't be coming up there getting my water. <laughs> you talking about that water <laughs> issue again? Oh, my gosh. Hey, you going to see all kinds of stuff. That was funny, though. Hey, people do all kinds of stuff. When they know you're the owner, you, they, 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 they tend to calm down because you're like, hey, listen. And, you know, we'll, look, we'll talk about how it is living on site. Oh, Believe gosh. it or not, that there's a lot to that. Um, but we, we're going to take you through it. Yes, we will. All right. So, again, as as we say every show, and just with our heartfelt just gratitude, thanks again for listening to the Slow Wealth Podcast uh, with Kendra. And this is Ramon. And um, the motivational quote again for today was, your thoughts influence your feelings, your feelings influence your actions. Your actions create the life that you live, a life that you will love. Mm. Positive, positive thoughts. Positive thoughts. If you have any questions, please let us know. You can email us at invest at slowwealth.com. That's I-N-V-E-S-T at S-L-O-E-W-E-A-L-T-H. That is success lives on elevation. Again, I am Kendra. And Ramon. And please subscribe, leave comments, love us, aka like us. Uh, we are on Facebook at Slow Wealth. Um, that's S L O E Wealth. Uh, listen to us on Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Hey, hey, we on all that. If you find us somewhere else, just hit us on that too. Because <laughs> we out there. Email us with your questions. Thank you so much again for listening. um, And have a wonderful evening. I hope y'all enjoying this uh, quarantine. Uh, Just learn a lot. Take advantage of the time that you're sitting at home. Read, study, and do all of that. Because when they open this back up, you want to be ready. Yes. Be ready. Be hungry.